At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Sports Garden Network Podcast. Your source for sports entertainment. Incredible sports wagering intelligence. Welcome sports fans. This is Wagering Week. I'm Tom Barton. That's right. We are Wagering Week. Facebook and Twitter is how you get in touch with us. 855, the number 4, G-A-R-T-E-N as well on all the social media. Facebook and Twitter. We are hashtag S-G-N. And make sure you make sure you write us. SportsGun, G-A-R-T-E-N. iTunes, iHeartRadio, any of our fine syndicated affiliates. That is also how you can listen to us. Guys, we have a huge show today. We were going to be absolutely talking about the NBA playoffs. It is at the front of everyone's mind, and we've gotten some good games here early on. Right away, first round, we thought the first round was going to be real interesting. And right away, first round, we've got some good games to talk about. What did we learn from the early games that we could look at moving forward? We'll get into that. We're going to touch on a little bit of NHL. The playoff chase is on. There are some teams that, look, sadly, may have just ended their own playoff chases this week. <clears throat> Vegas Golden Knights, right? A little bit of Major League Baseball situational spots that happen this week that we have to take advantage. And if you didn't take advantage of now, the best thing about Major League Baseball is you have time to take advantage in the future. And if we have time, we'll do a little bit of draft chatter. But next week's show is going to be completely devoted to the NFL draft, what plays that we can make. And it's a good time to make some bets and make some money that a lot of people and a lot of people in this business that do this professionally kind of let slip through. I know this year is one of those years where there's a lot of uncertainty in the NFL draft, but I certainly want to get into what is going on in the NFL draft and all that is happening with that. All right, so let's get into NBA to start off with, and we've had quite a few interesting situations. So the play-in games, all right, we're, we're not going to talk about them. They happen. It is what it is, right? The team's moved on. All right, um, you know, T-Wolves, Pelicans get themselves in. That is the way that we looked at this. And you look at the T-Wolves and you look at the Pelicans, where we are right now with these two teams, and you go, yeah, both have a win here in the playoffs, right? And the momentum is certainly there. So let's look back real quick at some of the series because the series are important to kind of take a peek at and see sort of where are we with some of the series. The 76ers are looking absolutely dominant. They got... Uh, from Tyrese Maxey, 23 points in the second game, nine boards, eight assists, and he got 38 in the first game. It's funny that we're all sitting back and we're talking about Embiid and Harden where Maxey is a guy that's filling up the scorecard. So on a betting perspective, you can forget about just Maxey with the 38, right? The sports books have not adjusted to him as far as point scoring goes. He got 23 in the second game, and that's kind of what they're going to start lining him at. I think he's going to be 22, 23, 24 points. But if you get, and I love to do this. Look, with a big-time player, I love to do points, rebounds, assists. That, that's what I enjoy to do because if you get a big game from the guy, maybe he's not scoring, but he's facilitating. And with Maxi, that's what you're getting. 23 points, 9 boards, 8 assists in Game 2 puts you over for points, rebounds, and assists even if he didn't get the massive amount of points that you were expecting. They got a 15-point win. They, uh, you know, The Raptors came out, by the way, and led in the first quarter, and then it was just a matter of the 76ers settling down and saying, yeah, enough of that. You look at some of the prop plays that you can have in some of these games. And I'll tell you, you know, Joel Embiid's numbers are just, they're just off the charts when you're talking about what the sports book set him at. So even in game two where you had 31-11, I mean, you know, you're looking at this and you're saying, 
it's hard. It's hard to take him. Yeah, you know, Embiid had 31 and 11, but he didn't have any assists, okay? So 42 total. I saw, depending on where you were looking, anywhere between 40 and 45, depending on the sports books. You may have won, you may have lost, but you, you get a zero on assist. And Bede's a hard guy, and a lot of the superstars are hard guys to take prop plays with because of this, okay? But a guy like Maxi, like I said, and what about a guy like Harden? Now, he only had a few points in the first game, 14 points in the second game. Game one, he had 14 assists, though. But Harden is just not doing it. 14, 6, and 6 is not going to do it. So moving forward, I expect Toronto in Game 3 to play better, but I don't know if I could take them. Right now, this looks like Toronto might win a game or two there. There's been really one quarter where Toronto has looked good, and that was the first quarter of Game 2, and they actually only had a one-point lead in that one. Philly has absolutely dominated the series. They're doing it with a three-headed attack, not a two-headed attack like everybody expected. I mean, when you look up and you see, you know, Maxi really leading the team as far as overall contribution, you know Embiid's going to get his his numbers. We know that. But I don't see a prop play opportunity. I think you could still make money on Maxi. And I look at the Sixers and I go, you know, you, you look at who Philly is, and there's a lot of haters on Philly, on what they did, how their process is to get there. A lot of people not liking who Philly is and who Philly can be. And maybe that's holding the line down a little bit, right? Because you go to Toronto, and in that game in Toronto, they're a two-point favorite. Now, they have dominated this series. And you could say to me, well, you know what? Going to Toronto means something, and going on the road means something. And, you know, this this Raptors team is better than they were. Are they really? I mean, honestly, are they really? I have seen nothing out of this. Now, I'm not telling you that Philly is going to go into Toronto and win all the games and sweep this out, but it wouldn't shock me. What would shock me is if Toronto came back and won this season uh, season series here. I don't think they're coming back from down 0-2. You're going to have to go back to Philly. I'll give Toronto a win at home. I'll give them their one win at home. Hey, maybe, maybe they could get two wins at home. Maybe. But generally speaking, you look at this and you go, Philly is just a completely outmatched this Raptors team. They have dominated them in both games and in different ways. That is the key for me. Dominating a team in different sort of styles and different sort of ways. So Philly doesn't only look smart and really productive in the way that they're using Maxi now, but he adds that third element, which, by the way, is going to be a common theme when we talk today about what's going on in the early part of the playoffs. He adds that third element element here that you look at and you go, yeah, this is a this is a situation that adding that extra guy, adding that extra team, a- adding that third player can really put a dominant stamp on what is a very good Sixers team, and I think that they are. You go back and you look at some of the other series that are going on, and we talk about the Grizzlies, even the series at 1-1, and they did this on Tuesday night. This is was the perfect bounce-back opportunity. Look, Memphis came in as the youngest team in the league, and we mentioned this last week, 24 years old, was the youngest team in the NBA to have the second-best record ever since 1951-52 when they started keeping the number. They are a massively young team. They're a young team that really hasn't played, uh, I mean, 57 games they played basically with John Morant, their best player on the court. That's not a lot of games when you're talking about a young player like Morant. So they've played, they're a young team that have played a lot of, a bulk of their season, okay? Almost one-third of their season without their star player. It doesn't shock me that the stage was a little bit big on game one. At home, game one, here we go. Oh boy, everybody's looking at us. It doesn't shock me that the stage may have been too big for the 24-year-olds, right? But settling down, all right, now we have a playoff game under our belt. Okay, the line was seven. Now you come in and you absolutely humiliate the T-Wolves in game two. And you get you know a 30-point win or a 28-point win in game two with no problems at all. And what's funny is that you know early on it was actually a, a good 33-32 after the first quarter. And you're seeing a lot of that happening. First quarter underdogs 
are, have been real good, even though the favorites are dominating the field so far. First quarter underdogs have played pretty well. They're playing within a point, within a point and a half, 33-32. You, you're seeing that. So if you're somebody that likes underdogs and you've been getting crushed because the favorites have been covering, that's something to pay attention to. But this series, also you look at Minnesota and you go, look, Minnesota was riding high. When you see a team celebrating the way that Minnesota was celebrating, and I know everybody got a chuckle out of that. It was a ha-ha moment for seemingly everyone. Ah, ha-ha. You know, this team, uh, you know, they're, they, they're celebrating a play-in game win, and they're celebrating, you know, a win that they shouldn't. Uh, well, you know, it could work two ways for you. It could work the way um, that you look at it and you say, yeah, you know what? Uh, they got a little over their head. Uh, uh, they, they're going to have a natural come down, or they carry it over. And that's what happened in game one. It was the perfect match, and this is why I warned people you know, not to take the game. I didn't think the T-Bulls were going to win, but I thought they could play close because they did have a lot of energy, a lot of excitement moving forward right there. They had a lot of that. Game two was the perfect bounce-back situation. Everybody should have capitalized on it. Now, moving forward... Look, Carl Anthony Towns is still a matchup nightmare, and so is Edwards. And Morant hasn't exploded. 23-9-10 and 10 is nice, but it's not John Morant-type numbers. But he didn't need them. So moving forward into games three, four, five, you know, you're going back to Minnesota. I expect Minnesota to play well at home. Do I expect them to sweep the board? No. I don't. I, I think they take one, and I think they lose one in the next two. I think that we're sitting here with a 2-2 a series after four games. Because I think Minnesota, back at home, is playing on pure emotion. They're not the team that the Grizzlies are. And they they don't have, as much as Carl Anthony Towns is the guy, he gets into a lot of foul trouble. So they don't have the feeling of, all right, well, we could lose him. I know they lost him in game one. I just don't expect that again. As far as prop plays go, I don't really like anything. You know Carl Anthony Towns normally fills up the stat sheet because he's able to get points, rebounds. He's going to hit some three-pointers. I don't love that, though. I mean, Edwards looks like a pretty decent play. He's going to, but, you know, the sports books have sort of adjusted there. I really don't love anybody here as far as prop plays go. Let's talk about the Heat and the Hawks. This series has gone perfectly according to what the Heat have wanted to do, and that is just beat up the Hawks and not let them get any kind of scoring going. They've held the Hawks down to 105 and 91 points. They've scored exactly 115 in both of their head-to-head matchups. They are a dominant defensive team that also plays really well offensively when they need to. Jimmy Butler, 45-5-5, and absolutely goes off. And for Atlanta, everybody sort of looked at Trey Young as being the guy that was going to maybe, maybe make this series interesting. It was going to be the Trey Young show. We watched it happen last year. Trey Young was going to be the guy, put this team on his back, and uh, just explode. And it hasn't been him. It's been Bogdanovich, if anybody, 29-4-3 in Game 2. It's been him, if anybody. But it's a different type of team. And Trey Young is the type of guy that can put a team on his back. He's the type of guy that certainly can do the things that people expect him to do. But you see how Miami's treating him, and it's all over the, the internet. It's all over uh, Twitter. You can see it everywhere. They're just beating him up. They are playing physical, like mid-90s basketball on a player that is relatively small when you're talking about NBA players. He's relatively thin, and he's not used to this. He's not used to driving and getting... <laughs> Let's be honest, basically punched in the face. I mean, you're, he's just not used to that kind of physicality at all from this. So I look at it and I go, you know, it's the physicality that is almost needed for a star player. I've been waiting for teams to do this kind of thing for a long time because that crazy physicality will get you some wins here, guys. It's going to get you some wins. And that's the thing. I mean, you look at this and you go, yeah, look, it's a playoff series. But it's a playoff series that you look at and you go, yeah, it's going the way of, of getting banged around and getting beaten up. You got to like Miami. I, I don't know if the Hawks even take a game. I'm not sure the Hawks take a game. All right, we'll keep it on here. Um, Bucks, Bulls. Game one was interesting because it was a 10-point line, 9.5-10. I think it went off of 10.5 in some spots, but it was basically a 10-point line. The Bucks had this game fully in hand, no problem at all. Milwaukee's cruising, absolutely don't worry about it. And this is how the series should be. 
But the Bulls came back. Now, the Bucks, their defense this year was ranked 19th in the league. This is a defense that has consistently been a top 10 defense in the NBA. Year after year, top 10. And I said, you know, as long as they get their defense back, they're going to be okay. Well, the Bulls felt great after game one. We feel great. We came back. We actually had a fourth quarter lead. We came storming back from the deficit. They still only scored 86 points, guys. If the Bucks' defense is playing as well as they did in Game 1, albeit a game that was a close game, right? The Bulls had a lead in the fourth quarter of, a, of that game where the Bucks had a 20-point lead in the first half. It's not going to matter. The Bucks, even though that game was ugly to the Milwaukee betters' eyes, okay? They played a horrendous third quarter. Horrendous. They couldn't shoot anything. Bad, and it wasn't even, I can't say bad looks, bad execution. The ball was rimming out. It was terrible. And the fourth quarter wasn't much better for either one of these teams. It became a defensive battle. But even as bad as the Bucks looked, they still won by seven in game one, which means in game two, when the line was set up 10, you go, yeah, it makes sense. Here's the thing with the Bucks, though. And the rest of the league, by the way, should be on notice. Because if Milwaukee found their defense, everyone's in trouble. If Milwaukee can play this type, and it wasn't how the game was won. It was more of, oh boy, wait a minute. This is this is serious here, right? Because Milwaukee got into a position where they said, all right, we're gonna play some defense. I want we want this to be a defensive battle. And them asking for a defensive battle in that game, they wanted a defensive battle in that game was a weird situation when you're talking about the 19th-ranked defense in the NBA. Now, I know that the Bulls are not a good defensive team. They rank somewhere, depending on what metrics you're using, anywhere between 25th and 27th. So the Bulls stepping up defensively also is certainly something to pay, pay attention to. But it was the Bucks that I look at long-term. I don't think, and I, I'm no no offense to Chicago fans out there, I don't think anybody, even the biggest Chicago fan on earth, thinks that the Bulls are playing for a championship this year. But people do think that the Bucs can. But the Bucs' main problem was that their defense was just not where it was. So the mentality, look, the execution is fantastic, but it was the mentality of, we have confidence in our defense. And it's the mentality of, we have confidence that, okay, it's the playoffs. We're an experienced veteran group. We know how to turn things up. We know how to turn up the defensive intensity and moving forward, watch what we do. Now, the over-unders have been set at about 225 or so. That's going to look like a bargain if the Bucks are playing this style of basketball. And that's what it is. Look, it is a style of basketball that you adapt to and that you choose to make work for you. The style where Giannis is that defensive player of the year candidate. It is a style where you look at and you go, okay, DeRozan can go off for his points, but the rest of the Bulls are going to get nothing done. It's a style that says, we've been here before and we know how to win the championship. You know, everybody always talks about flipping the switch. And we hear that in other sports, right? Uh, flipping the switch. I remember first hearing about this, you know, the late not, you know, 99 Yankee team that the last like 10 games of the season, they hadn't looked good, even though they were the best team maybe that we've ever seen. And they didn't look good. And, and somebody uttered the phrase flipping the switch and people go, ah, I don't know if athletes can do it. Well, some can and some teams can. The Milwaukee Bucks are a team that they've experienced plenty in the playoffs. They know how to prepare for this. They have veteran leadership. If there's a team in the playoffs that I believe can flip the switch and turn it into a defensive unit, it's this Bucks team. Look, you look at the teams that are led uh, you know, in, into a championship mode. Sixers have never been that far. The Nets have never done it. The Celtics haven't done it. The Raptors haven't done it. The Bulls certainly haven't done it. Even in the West, this incarnation of the Warriors haven't done it. The Suns haven't done it. Certainly the Pelicans haven't done it. The Jazz haven't done it. They've come up short. Denver hasn't done it. They've come up short. The Bucs are the only team that can lean on their experience. The Bucs are the only team that can lean on their veteran leadership and say, okay, guys, we saw a deficiency over the course of the season. We played a different style over the course of the season to kind of get by, to keep people healthy, to play in a different rotation, however, whatever, Whatever reasoning you want to come up with, 
if you want to call it an excuse, sure, whatever excuse you want to come up with, that they were not a good defensive team this year, all of that, whatever it might be, they're the only team in the NBA playoffs right now, and the Warriors are are close, but they're, they're a little bit different. The, the only team that I feel 100% can flip the switch and be a different team than what they were during the regular season and turn it up. Now, that means not nothing to anybody that doesn't believe that their defense can be good. And I'm not making too much of one or two games here by the Bucks, but I like the mentality of a veteran team saying, watch us. Watch what we can do. And watch what we can become. The Bulls truly believed they had a good offensive effort in a game they didn't score 90 points. That is a Bucks mentality that was forced upon the Bulls. The Bulls in the locker room after that game were going, well, you know what? We got some good looks. We had, we had a pretty good offensive game plan. We, we came back. They felt good about a seven-point loss. They felt good about a game where they didn't score 90. And that's a defensive mindset that the Bucks instilled. I like that. So I like the Bucks moving forward. It makes a lot of sense to me. All right, let's take a quick timeout. Come on back. When we do come back, we'll go over the rest of the NBA game. Still some NHL to talk about. All that and more right after this right here on Wagering Week. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And now back to Wagering Week with Tom Barton. i bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. No way. I'll give you three to one odds. You're on. What are the odds? What are the odds? And, well, what are the odds we're looking at? The NBA championship after some of these games have been completed. And, again, this is about midweek when we're looking at it. The odds certainly have changed. Right now, the Warriors, they've taken that jump up to plus 275. The Suns have fallen back to plus 325 to win it all. The Bucks are plus 450. Celtics plus 750. Nets at plus 850. The Heat are about 10 to 1, 11 to 1, depending on where you're looking. Grizzlies about 16 to 1. Sixers 16 to 1. The Jazz 40 to 1. Mavericks 66 to 1. T Bulls, nobody believing in that. 100 to 1, even though that's tied 1 1. The Nuggets 125 to 1. And Pelicans still nobody's believing at 125 to 1 odds. That is, what are the odds? Now, look, you can get odds, you know, literally, I mean, day by day. If, if you really want to play the futures odds, you can do that. Um, I do find it quite interesting that the odds shifted slightly for the Suns, but not so slightly for the Pelicans. That is an interesting situation. Look, we got to go back to Tuesday night because that that was pretty, that was was a big shock. What's funny is that it's probably not going to be a big shock in the playoffs, but early season shock or early playoff shock here. It really is. The Pelicans upset the Suns as nine and a half point favorites. And I know I said nine and a half point favorites. I know people are gonna go, oh, they were double digits. Yeah, they 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 probably went off at double digits, especially over the course of the the night where both of the favorites won. And you go, Oh well, you know what? I'm gonna try and make my money back with the Suns. Suns lost. The Suns, who had nine losses at home during the year, the Suns lost at home to a team that was 17 and 24 away on the year. And they give up 125 points. Now, that's big because the Suns' defense gives up 107 points total. Now, before the series began, when we talked last week, I told you I kind of like the Pelicans here to keep games close, not to win. I didn't think they'd win a game. I, I even wrote out, I even tweeted this out, and I said, when can we just fast forward to Warriors-Pelicans and the you know kind of championship game to get into the, the NBA title spot? Because 
I thought that this was just going to be a 4-0, 4-0 series. Pelicans, though, I expected to play good defense. And I've mentioned this before, and I'll say it again, and you guys are going to go, well, Tom's repeating the same thing. Well, I am. Since C.J. McCollum has come on board for the Pelicans, New Orleans ranks in the top 10 in defense. I think that's significant. And holding the Suns to 114 doesn't seem like an accomplishment, but holding the Suns to 114 at home is an accomplishment. But it was the offense, really. The offense had scored 69 points in the second half. 69 second-half points for this team. I mean, that, that's incredible. They were only down three points going into the half, and then the Pelicans absolutely exploded. Brandon Ingram went nuts, 37-11-9. You want to talk about prop play and filling up the prop sheet. Uh, I mean, there it is. And the Suns, you can argue, look, Devin Booker had a good game with 31 points, and in game one, Chris Paul had a good game. You can argue that the Suns just got caught looking ahead. And I'm sure Phoenix supporters and people that are looking at Phoenix are going to argue exactly that. Well, the Suns just got just got caught looking ahead. No big deal. Don't make a big deal about it. But I do. I do make a big deal about it. I make a big deal about it, not for this series, which I still don't believe that the Pelicans do anything more than minimal damage. But I do believe in it because it's showing some problems on a seemingly unbeatable Suns team. A 64-win Hands down, odds on favorite to win the championship. Just lost at home to a team that had to play a play-in game that was 10 games under 500 at home uh, or on the year. Okay? That's a problem. Now, they've played much better with C.J. McCollum. Okay? And, and, they, and they their defense is a top 10 defense. And I thought that they could keep things close. We're talking about 9.5 or 10-point favorite, guys. Went down at home. Went down at home. Now they got to go to New Orleans. I'm not sure New Orleans wins another game. I don't know if the Suns take them that easy. Um, but I will tell you this. Starting Friday night, I'm paying attention. That line's only two and a half. Phoenix is only two and a half point favorites. All of a sudden, people buying into the Pelicans. Yes, they are. We just read it off. And one of the odds, I just told you that the championship odds have moved. Not for the Pelicans, but for the Suns. So maybe there's a, a few side eyes here at the Sun. Two and a half on Friday night. And let me tell you something. That's That opened up at two and a half. The world is going to pound the Suns in this spot. The world is going to be on Phoenix in this spot. Line's still only two and a half. The sportsbooks know that everyone's going to pound Phoenix. The line's only two and a half. You know, here is a situation where you... Look, I'm telling you I'm not worried about the series. But you got to start looking at this if you are a Suns futures backer and go, was this a blip? Why is the line only two and a half? Uh, with a line is two and a half, it, it's a one basket game. It's basically a pick 'em in New Orleans. Can New Orleans get on top of the series 2 1? No one's going to buy into that. No one's taking the Pelicans on Friday, guys. Nobody's taking the Pelicans on Friday. They get up to a 2 1 lead. I mean, what are the series prices? What's the situation for the Suns? How dire do things get? How alarming do things get and, and the alarm bell starts ringing and flipping out if they lose on Friday night? I, I think massively. I think you, you have to almost panic if you're the Suns. They got a Friday, Sunday tilt. I don't expect them to lose Friday. I don't. But I will tell you what. It's going to be a tough situation. You know, it's going to be a tough situation. You know, it's... The Suns are thinking about bigger and better things. And New Orleans is just playing with house money. And now they're at home? And they're not dead in the series? I mean, that's the thought process here. The thought process here is that, well, you know what? We got a chance. We we could upset the world. We're not winning the championship this year. But we could upset the apple cart. I mean, this is their proverbial Super Bowl, right? I mean, that that's what you're talking about. This is their proverbial Super Bowl, ladies and gentlemen. I, I am looking at that two and a half. I don't know how I'm not going to back a Brinks truck up on Phoenix, but I'm going to look behind me and I'm going to see probably upwards of 75 or 80% of the money coming in on Phoenix. I mean, it, it almost has to be that way, doesn't it? It's, it's a weird situation that a publicly bet team 
like the Suns, the number one overall seed like the Suns, the team with the most wins in the NBA like the Suns are 1-1 going against the number eight team, a team that had to play a plane, and they're only laying basically a basket. That's a weird number for me. Stands out, jumps off the page. All right, let's talk about Jazz Mavericks. It's 1-1, and there's no Luka, okay? The the expectation is that Luka is going to come back. The expectation is that Thursday, and I'm recording this before Thursday's game, is that Luke is going to come back to Salt Lake, and all of a sudden, you're going to see a different kind of Dallas team. But Dallas has been playing well without them. You know, the Jazz gave that game away. You can argue that all day long. Donovan Mitchell's been fantastic. Oh, sure. But it's a defensive effort that has really made it. it the, look, the number one offense in the league is the Jazz. Jazz is the number one offense in the league. Game one, the uh, over-under was set at 207. Game two went down to 205. Now, game two went over. Game one didn't. But you look at the Jazz. Jazz have scored 144, 99 points. The Mavericks defense has shut down this number one offense in in just a fantastic manner. In just a mind-boggling manner. The Mavericks defense has been fantastic. Now, the question that you have to ask yourself moving forward, right? Getting into Thursday night uh, with uh, with Game 3 and moving forward into the weekend. How much is Luka's return when he does return? Because they may not have to make him return in Game 3. Okay, I think he does. All indications are that he's going to return. Everything that I am reading says he's going to return. Everything that I see says he's going to return for Game 3. But maybe because they stole a game, they could hold him out until Game 4. That's possible. Very possible. Um... But how much does Luka impact their style when he gets back? Luka is their offensive team. We know that. 28.5 points per game, 9 rebounds per game, 9 assists per game. I mean, that's who Luka is. He's going to give a jolt to the offense for sure. But when somebody comes back like that, and I'm not telling you that Luka's a bad defensive player. I mean, he's not a great defensive player, but I'm not telling you he's a bad defensive player. What I'm saying is that their mindset without Luka was – Play the game close. We don't have a lot of scoring. Let's play a defensive game. Let's keep it within, uh, you know, 100 points or so and see where we're at. And it worked out well in both games. I know they're 1-1, one and one, but they held the Jazz to under 100 points in game two. You got to think that their mentality and their philosophy worked. You have to sit back and say, this worked in game one. And they played the same style in game two, and it worked to give them a W. So whatever style that they have decided to play, which is a defense-first mentality, obviously, they have decided to go down that road, and it has worked to perfection. Now you're going to add Luka Doncic, and you're going to add Doncic into this mix who's going to give an offensive boost, sure, but does that change the mentality of how they're going to play this game? I think that that's what you have to ask yourself. You also have to think about the idea that Utah, who's the number one offense in the league, forget about the Luka thing, Utah is the underdog here. Okay, now they haven't been according to the numbers. They weren't according to the series price because of Doncic being out. They were minus five in game one, minus five in game two. They're minus six now in game three, which tends to make me think Luka might miss Thursday's game. But you look at this and you go, the Jazz are saying, hey, we went 1-1 in Dallas. But their number one offense is stagnant right now. Does going home to Salt Lake City, give them the infusion and the boost and the energy that they need to all of a sudden become that offensive team. Here's another line that I'm a little weary about. Listen, if you believe Luke is coming back, how is Utah more? I mean, they're favored by more with Luka coming back. Now you could say, well, they're at home. 29-12 at home. Okay. Yes. But the Dallas Mavericks are a very good road team. 23-18, is it, that's a good road team. And if they're getting Luka back... You would think that people are going to be on Dallas. I would think that the public is going, and the early indications, by the way, are that the public is on Dallas because everyone's expecting Luka back. Um, Does he hit the ground running? Is he at a minutes limit early on? All these questions. I I hate game three. I I won't touch this game three. But I think it's going to be real indicative of the series moving forward if the Jazz can steal this series or if Dallas can do the same, steal a series without Luka. Because both of them are going to look at it like that. If the Jazz win, look, we were the lowest seed, you know, well, we got we got by and we stole the win in the series. Okay, if Dallas wins, you go, hey, we didn't even have Luka for the first two, three games. We didn't even have him, and we stole the series. What about Nuggets, Warriors? I don't think there's going to be any stealing series here. The Warriors look absolutely unbelievable. The Warriors were my team. 
I told you guys last week, I thought was going to win it all. And I thought they win it all because they now have that extra guy. Curry, fantastic. Absolutely, he's always going to be fantastic. He's a playoff performer. He's one of the best players that we've ever seen play. You, you love Steph Curry a million times over. Klay Thompson, you know what you're getting from him. You know what you're getting from Green. Absolutely. But it's Poole is the guy that I looked at and I talked to you guys about and I said, he is the X factor. When we talked about Maxi, when we're talking about the Sixers, Poole is the guy. He's that extra splash brother, if you want to say the splash triplets now, right? He's that extra player that now is in a weird spot that you're going to have to defend. How do you go about defending the three of them? How do you go about kind of neutralizing the three of them? And while, you know, you go, well, Steph was coming off the bench and he was kind of the sixth man and ha ha ha, it's a joke. Well, it's sort of like that, right? I mean, isn't it sort of like that? Curry comes off the bench and scores 34. <laughs> you know, I mean, that that's, that's the headline. Curry comes off the bench and scores 34. That's the headline. But the, the underlyingness of that is that Poole put up another 29. Poole put up another 29 with eight assists and five boards. By the way, the sportsbooks have not adjusted at all to Poole and what his numbers are. A- at all to him. You know, you're looking at the Golden State Warriors and you try. You're trying desperately to find a flaw in this team. And I just can't find one. You have uh, Jokic going home. The MVP, more than likely, two years in a row. You can have the two-year running MVP two years in a row going home. You expect Denver to steal a game here. But it's hard to expect that because the Warriors are a machine. How do you stop them? Look, Jokic has not had a bad series. He hasn't had a good series, but he hasn't had a bad series. He hasn't had the MVP series. But there's no way anyone's looking at this and saying that, uh, you know, the Joker has been anything but, okay, solid. He's He's been solid. I think... The matter of that comes to the front of the table here is that unless he is out of this world good, they can't win. And even if he is out of this world good, he still might not win. I mean, he, he 26 points is perfectly fine. You know, again, you're looking at him, and I'm not trying to disparage uh, Jokic here, who I like a lot, Okay. But he's a 28-point average scorer. He had 26 in Game 2. 11 rebounds. 4 assists. Those are good numbers. They lost the game by 20. I mean, I, to me, Warriors only minus 1.5. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know if Denver wins a game. Before the series started, I said, I don't know if Denver wins a game. That's how much I thought about the Warriors. I, I still, I'm still in that position. I, I just don't know if they win a game. And I don't think that they do. Warriors only minus one and a half Thursday. And moving forward, I'm looking at the the lines moving forward. Um, and you look at when they are going to match up again. And you go, yeah, you know, I, I don't know if they're going to be. I can't imagine that on Sunday afternoon that the Warriors are not going to be. Remember, it's a Sunday afternoon. It's a public play. What? Minus two or three. You're not going to give them minus four or five. And even if you are. I don't know if they win a game. I think that they might close it out this weekend. All right. The last series that we talked about is the best series. It's the greatest 2-7 on paper that we've ever seen. And it had a phenomenal ending in game one, of course. We're talking about the Nets and Celtics. And Jason Tatum, we talked about it earlier, and and I kind of mentioned it on my Wanna Bet weekend show. We had somebody call in, uh, my buddy Chris, and he said, listen, I think you're underestimating Tatum because I called Tatum not a superstar yet. He had to win this series because if he, go, he plays well and he goes home, he's not a superstar yet. And that was sort of my argument basis here. Well, he looked like a superstar scoring the last point in a 115-114 ending. Well, just a fantastic, fantastic game. 31 points is going to get it done. Now, Kyrie filled up the stat sheet with 39, and he's going to do that. And I think that there was a, a serious conversation between Durant and Irving and, Dur- and Irving going, listen, I hate this team. I hate this city. He went out there and stomped on the Boston logo the last time they were there. And I want my points. And I think Durant said, okay, no problem. I'll play your kind of secondary role. 23 points for Durant was perfectly fine. Because Irving went off at 39. Irving hit the big shot at the end. Okay? Irving filled up that stat sheet all day long in game one. 
and I think that Durant is eventually going to have to take over and take over the series because it's not just Tatum anymore and it's not just Brown anymore. Smart wins the defensive MVP for the first time since the Glove. You're starting to see this Boston team and what we all thought of this Boston team, which was they are really dangerous. Really dangerous. Boston was getting massive ticket amounts. Massive tickets coming in for them to win the whole thing because of how they've played. And since about January 20th or 23rd or so, since late January, this team has been the best team in the East, bar none. Bar none. Philly, Brooklyn, Milwaukee. No. The Boston Celtics have been that good. And they've been that good with the number one overall defense. You don't fluke your way to two months of being the best team in the East. You don't fluke your way to the number one defense in the NBA. This team was not lucky, scheduling, or anything else. No. This was quite simply the best team. Now, the Nets have potential, and they have talent all over the place. The Nets have everything you want out of a champion, except for secondary guys. Now, is it enough to have Harden and Irving? Yeah, most nights that's going to be enough. Most nights that's going. Most nights that's going to be enough. But eventually, I always believe that you need to have a complete team. You got to have some kind of bench. The Nets don't have that, and I think that Boston sort of exposed that. It was, we're going to play well. You're going to play well. Who's going to hit that last shot? And we all looked at that game. And we all saw Irving hit that shot late. And you said, okay, Kyrie is the guy. Kyrie had the game of his life, 39 points. It was fantastic. But here's the thing. Kyrie had a 50-plus point game earlier in the year, and the Nets lost. This was a 39-point game where he hit the big last shot, and they lost. At some point, to Durant, to Kyrie, to the rest of the team, doesn't there have to be kind of that mindset of as good as Kyrie is, you know, we can't put this team away. And and the Celtics are getting that momentum. You know, I I spoke about this. When you see Durant and Irving walk in the door, you're going to go, uh-oh, uh-oh. You know, we're still young. You know, our future is still uh, down the road. These guys are right now. And you had to jump out to a big early win, and they got exactly that from their main star, Jason Tatum. And if Tatum wins this series and has a big playoff, the future is now for him. I will tell you he is a superstar if that happens. I thought it was down down the line. I thought we're talking about years ahead. I thought we're talking about the future. Right now, Jason Tatum, the Boston Celtics, the future might be 2022. Speaking of the future, let's go back to the future. We're sending you back to the future. Okay, all right. Bet to the future. Okay, guys, let's go bet to the future. And, you know, everybody was in a golf mindset over the last couple of weeks with Tiger coming back and whatnot. Well, I got a couple of uh, bet to the future odds right here, golf-related. Well, Tiger Woods, will he play in the PGA Championship next month? The odds are plus 225 that he will play. So if you like Tiger to come back for that, plus 225. If you think he's going to wait for a bigger event, well, you know what? You could get, uh, you're going you're gonna to have to lay a little bit of money, but you can get paid there as well. Also, I'm going to give you a double bet to the future here. Odds for the match, right? This is always a little fun. Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers against Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. The, the young guns against the uh, the old dogs here. Well, people are liking the older guys. Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, minus 220. Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, plus 175. That is bet to the future. Everybody loves those, those you know, the new fun golf odds. And I think that golf has really embraced it in the right way. Uh, I don't know if anybody's really going to sit back and um, <laughs> really, really don't think anybody's going to sit back and be betting too heavily on these things. Uh, but it's for a little fun. It, it, it's certainly for fun. As far as Tiger goes, I mean, he's going to come back, but I think he wants to come back where he could win. And I don't know if he's he feels like his game is ready to. He certainly looked impressive to me, but I don't know if he's ready to come back and win right now, or feels like he can come back and win right now. All right. Speaking about winning, let's go into the NHL a little bit. And I I know it's the playoff chase. 
And I just want to give kind of some words of caution. I'm not going to break down the playoff chase now. We'll get into that when the playoffs get a little bit closer and it's right before time. But most of these game, most of these teams have about six or seven games, five, five, six games left or so for most of the NHL. And you're starting to get into a position in the NHL where it is quite interesting. We just came off of a week. Just this past week, we had a streak of 23 straight favorites in the NHL. Now, uh, let me say that again. For the people in the back row, 23 NHL favorites in a row. Insane. That's insane. And we then had, you know, it didn't just end. It didn't end with a plus 115. No, it ended with two back-to-back nights of a plus 350 underdog winning outright. Plus 350, plus 350 back-to-back nights. I mean, that is the NHL. It is not for the faint of heart when you're going out there and making bets. And I, I will tell you the story about myself with the NHL. For years, I bet the NHL, and uh, I, I kept records and I kept counts, and for nearly a decade, I was always about 48%, 51%, 52%. Over nearly a decade, I looked at it, and I was barely over 51%, barely, just just touching 52%, um, uh, you know, just under 52%, I should say. And, and it just wasn't enough, so I, I took a couple of years off, reassess the situation and the year before the pandemic I got back into it and I started to see a different kind of NHL I started to see an NHL where there was perceivably perceived a little bit more scoring and I started to see an NHL where the top teams were just purely dominant over the other teams and I got into it that year made a lot of money that year the next year came out during the pandemic and I know a lot of people talk about this during the bubble I hit over 70 percent gave a lot of that free on the air Hit over 70% during the pandemic. Well, you know what? Last year, hit over 70% again. Now, hitting 70%, I'm not saying that I'm going to do that over the course of my, my life here, and I don't bet a lot of NHL games. But where are we sitting right now? Hitting about 65% what I'm doing this year. And why? Because I'm picking my spots. Now, the percentage, though, has to be looked at, and I'll be the first advocate to scream and yell, Tom, what are you doing? I take heavy favorites. I don't mind. So... I did make profit, but it's not going to be as big because I am taking heavy favorites. I have no problem in the NHL laying 300. I don't have a, a problem in the NHL doing it. And I know a lot of people do. There is still value to be had with big money favorites, but you can get burned. And if you get burned twice in a week, it can set off like an eight-game winning streak. You know, you got have an eight-game winning streak. You could be eight and two and go, ah, oh, I'm 80%, but those two losses are, you know, minus 400 and you're kind of right back in the same spot. And they hurt. I'm not going to lie. Those big favorites, when they go down, oh, they they injure me. They hurt. They, they hurt. So you don't want to do it. But sometimes, you know, you're okay. 23 straight favorites this week. And then back-to-back losses. And I did. I took one of those big losses. I laid 300 with the Vegas Golden Knights against the Devils in a game where they looked absolutely pathetic. I took one of those losses. I'm still plenty up this year. I'm not worried about it. But they will happen every now and then. You have to attack hockey and betting on hockey and understand the favorites are going to be there. The heavy favorites are going to be out there. And you just kind of have to swallow that pill where you have got to make sure that you're not going on every big favorite. Pick your situational spots. Home teams make sense. Teams that are going for something. Look, Vegas fell into every right area. Their team just gave up. Their team has no heart. They just completely gave up. Um, I, I mean, they had one goal scored against the number 7th worst-ranked defense in the NHL through 57 minutes of that game. There are times where the season is just too much for them. And the Vegas Golden Knights, the season just became too much. When you're starting to look at the playoffs here late in the year, it's an interesting scenario where do you start to bet on teams that must win? Well, we hear this in all sports. Must win games. Well, there's a lot of pressure on those must win teams. I like playoff positioning. I like riding the hot hand. I, I, I am always specifically in... Hockey, I, I love the hot end. Florida, the Panthers won 10 of the last 10 games. Toronto's won 8 of the last 10 games. 8-1-1 one, one with the tie, right? I mean, 8-1-1. One, one. Uh, they're good teams that are just not straight. Look, Washington. Washington's been on fire. Washington's been absolutely on fire. The Avalanche, 9 of the last 10 games. The Blues, 9 of the last 10 games. The Oilers, 8 of the last 9 games. I mean, you know, ride the hot teams when they're hot and ride them at home. And if you got to lay some money, you got to lay some money. You know, I, I hear all the time people put that, that number. I, I won't take anything more than like a, a 150 favorite ever. No way. 
Well, I wouldn't just throw that out there. I wouldn't just throw a, a, an arbitrary number. Find your spots. Find where it makes sense. And really, you know, I, I, I don't like the big heavy favorites on the road. Even with teams that are going as well as they are, even with the Panthers, even with the Avalanche, I, I'll lay the money if I have to lay the money to get the win. But, but I got to make sure that it is 100%. And as we kind of close this out, you're going to start seeing those huge favorites. Just last night, we had two favorites. One minus 475, the other one minus 550. Two favorites. Okay? By the way, they went one and one. By the way, oh yeah, they went one and one. The Lightning lost. <laughs> right? So, I, luckily I wasn't on the game. But you have those spots. So be careful here. This last week of the season, be very, very careful. And for those that are going, well, you know what? I'll go the other way. I'll take the plus 400 favorite. At Last week, we had 23 straight favorites. 23 straight. 23 straight. I just think about the analogy I always give. That is the guy walking up to the roulette wheel seeing, uh, you know, like 10 reds in a row and go, it's got to be black. Oh, oh, you're going to go broke, buddy. <laughs> oh, you're just going to go broke. And I, I don't feel that bad for you. All right. Last note here on Major League Baseball, I just want to touch on it. Look, sometimes there are certain teams, there are certain situations. I talked to you guys about Wainwright. Wainwright owns the Pirates. Well, here's another situation with the Pirates. The Brewers absolutely own the Pirates when they are in Milwaukee. It happened again this week. Corbin Burns was only basically a 2-1 to favorite. Only, I say, because Milwaukee was at home against Pittsburgh. They, at that point, had won 36 of 51 games against Pittsburgh and 90 of 105 at home. They dominate the Pittsburgh Pirates. They dominate the Pittsburgh Pirates in Milwaukee. And then you have Corbin Burns on the mound, and it was only a 2-1 to favorite. I mention that because people always are afraid of being big, heavy favorites in Major League Baseball. So I wanted to give you the comparison that the big, heavy favorites are also in the NHL. So it goes both ways. I would rather have you know, a minus 200 betting favorite with Corbin Burns on the mound at home against the Pirates then take a minus 550 favorite in the NHL. Got to pick your spots here, guys. All right, guys, that's going to do it for me. Enjoy the playoffs. Next week when we talk, we're going to be talking NHL playoffs. We're going to get into the NFL draft as well. I'm Tom Barton for Wagering Week. We'll be back, and you can bet on that. This has been a presentation of the Sports Garden Network. To be part of the show, call 1-855-4-GARTEN. That's 1-855-442-7386. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at Sports Garden. That's G-A-R-T-E-N. Get all your credible sports intelligence 24 hours a day by visiting us at sportsgarden.com. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.